Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm constantly telling my children in a desperate attempt for them to eat nutritiously that we are what we eat, that it's not about fuel, but about the quality and diversity of the food that we eat that turns our bodies from a functioning car into a supercar. I'm hoping my guest today will give me some ammunition for my persuasion. <laughs> Amelia Freer is one of the UK's most respected and sought-after nutritional therapists, with an ever-growing flock of celebrities crediting her for their newfound energy as a result of healthier nutrition. She's published four books, teaching her readers how, with simple changes to their diet, not involving fasting, food denial, or boring eating, her clients and readers can feel like a new, improved version of themselves. Amelia, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. I, I at the heart of what you do, you talk about positive nutrition. Yes. And I do think that very often your, um, certainly my sentiment of being good was about restriction, mm -hmm. about denying yourself and that all the things we love, or certainly that I love, which is basically sugar, <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> heavy, lovely things are sort of bad for you yeah. and that we should be, feel guilty. So talk me through this idea of, of positive nutrition. Well, um, exactly that. I just noticed after working with so many clients over the last decade or so, that um, the healthy eating message was really focusing on restriction. And so everyone was approaching it, sort of white knuckling it and thinking, how long can I avoid all of these things that I love? And that made me really sad because obviously the benefits of nutrition go far beyond just the actual nourishing food. But we must give attention to the social and emotional and cultural and gastronomic experiences that food gives us, which is equally important for our health. So I developed the concept of positive nutrition, wanting to really actually sort of go back to basics and help people focus on what they need to be eating every single day and to understand that that food and nourishment must be a joyful experience. I, I think we all know that restricting and avoiding things that we love doesn't really work for anyone. Well, it also term. puts me in the most filthy mood. Yeah, I'm exactly. an, an absolute cow yeah. when I haven't eaten properly. <laughs> and the same, obviously, with our, our children. Yeah, exactly. I think it's so important to, you know, we need to be eating no one can deny it we need to we need food in order to survive but we need good food in order to thrive and that's really what my focus is on so we need to have these essential vitamins and minerals and healthy fats every single day in order for our bodies to really function optimally and I think that focusing on what to avoid means that no one ever has been paying attention to what we need to be eating and that's sort of been forgotten so positive nutrition for me is just going you know back to basics and helping people to understand what we need to be eating every single day and they're called essential nutrients because our bodies can't make them so if we're not eating a wide and diverse and varied diet every day we're not going to be giving ourselves what we need to thrive so it's not about I don't even talk about the things that people might eliminate or cut out or avoid but if you start focusing on what we need to be eating Sometimes there isn't room for the extra stuff that creeps in. And sometimes there is. And that's just a part of our social and emotional health. And I love the idea that you acknowledged eating is more than about getting food into you. It's about that social interaction. It's about enjoying it. And mm. I think that when we're teaching our children to eat, because essentially we teach them everything, don't we? Absolutely. We teach them to interact. We teach them manners. We teach them basic stuff like wiping their bottom. Yeah. Um, and I do think sitting down and having a family meal is a really important lesson in life because, you know, your children aren't born with the ability to make conversation. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, that's sort of when you first take them to to school and you go pick them up and you go how was school you get one word back it's fine um and and beyond that there's no ability to make conversation and I find yeah. sitting down as a family is a really important opportunity to talk about what's happening with them how their day has been teach them those skills of conversation mm. as well as eat and find the joy in eating I quite agree and obviously my daughter's sort of still young but from a very early age well from from weaning I've made sure that she doesn't eat alone because I want her to associate 
sitting down at the table, not just with the, the food and the pleasure, because obviously that's a very exciting time for her. Um, you know, she's still discovering food, but also to understand that it is the time that you get mummy's attention so that she starts to associate mealtimes as a really positive, happy time. Whereas I think, I mean, I, you know, not, not trying to fault my mother or anything, but, you know, she was a working single mum. I did spend a lot of my time, my childhood eating alone. And, um, it, you know, it, it can be lonely. And what sort of message does that does that teach us so I make sure that I that you know Willow gets good conversation good chat and attention because that's all our children want from us isn't it is to have our time and attention so if you make that focused around mealtimes I hopefully I'm sending her a really positive message around it and also often the time that they're playing up is when they want more attention so if they're Absolutely. not eating or they're playing with their food or they're chucking yeah. it around it's because often you're not sitting there actually engaging with them and I get so many messages from mums just saying I can't get my kids to eat what shall I do blah 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 and and it's always the first thing I say is you know are they eating alone or are you actually sitting down and phones away giving them attention just just letting letting them chat I mean I talk to Willow about what can she taste what's the feeling in her mouth we just sort of talk about the food but then we just talk about whatever else she wants to talk about but as soon as I say supper's ready she runs over to her chair it's an excitement to her to Mm -hmm. have meal times and so not trying to say that I've got it all perfectly because it's still early days but um, it's it's a nice practice and I'm really glad that I decided to do that from from the early stage. I mean realistically as a mother I often find I try and eat with my kids but then there are times that I can't so I'm going out for dinner afterwards so I put dinner in front of the table for them and I'm just desperate to eat it myself because usually actually by five I'm really hungry me too um yeah. but I don't really want to have two dinners yeah um but also they take so long to eat and that's <laughs> yes. the thing that drives me you know yeah. I sit down I'm like guys yeah. it's dinner time let's yeah. sit down and like 20 minutes later they've eaten maybe two mouthfuls <laughs> and I am so hungry and like hangry too yeah. <laughs> so yeah. tearing my hair out yeah what I, I found relate. is that you know mm-hmm. some kind of distraction so what I actually start doing is I do some sewing or some I do something whereby I'm doing something with my hands but I'm focusing yes. on them so you're not just yes exactly so you're not yeah. just sort of watching the food and exactly. wishing you could eat it <laughs> that's a really lovely tip actually I remember hearing you on another interview saying that you do doing the sewing and I love the idea and I think it's it's yes because it's something relaxing so you're still there and present but you're not tapping your fingers and thinking I've got to get ready I've got other things to do yeah I love that oh thank you <laughs> well so I think as a parent, your nutrition is often not prioritized anymore. Mm. You're sort of thinking about what your children are eating. Mm-hmm. You are thinking about, you know, just get it, putting one foot in front of the other. Um, what do you think, I mean, how important, I mean, obviously when you're pregnant, your mm. nutrition is incredibly important. It's mm. difficult if you're not feeling like eating certain things Mm -hmm. you might not have the energy to do it you might be being horrendously sick you might be craving you know marmite toast and butter exactly (laughs) how crucial is the nutrition in that stage should you be thinking about should you be acknowledging what your body is telling you to eat even if it is butter toast or should you be thinking no I do need to think beyond that my take um certainly during pregnancy is I think I think this is just sort of throughout nutrition at the moment. I think we just have to be kind to ourselves and give ourselves a break. I craved flaky pastry when I was pregnant, something that I didn't eat beforehand. Um, and I I didn't want to eat vegetables. I didn't have any appetite. I remember someone telling me to drink smoothies and I just wanted to punch them. I, You know, I, 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 I really found it challenging, but I knew that I'd laid down a really good nutritional foundation in the years running up to my pregnancy. And that we actually know is, is as important as what we eat during pregnancy. So I think that women need to give themselves a bit of a break during pregnancy and do their best. I mean, of course, if I had good days, then I would make sure I got in some vegetables and some healthy fats. But I think that um, we mustn't punish ourselves and, and feel all of this guilt and shame that I think too many of us feel and you know worry about I get lots of mothers like right what do I need to be eating and they want it broken down into individual nutrients which I just think is too stressful um so I think it's it is very important for anyone planning pregnancy to uh sort of you know for six months beforehand make sure that they're really nourishing themselves with a really sensible balanced diet which you can find in all of my books uh, and on my website um After pregnancy, I really relate to you saying that because my nutrition, in fact, all of my healthy habits fell away so quickly. I was mortified, horrified. I can't believe that I wasn't better prepared for the shock that motherhood would be for me. Um, And I know it's different for everyone, but for me, it completely floored me. And I very quickly 
um, you know, lost lost all of the good practices and certainly lost my good nutrition. And I was just eating toast and, and, and I don't know, whatever was quick and easy and that you can eat with one hand. Mm. Uh, I know I'm not alone in that. Um, or sort of licking the bowl of your children's puree, you know, <laughs> yeah. all that, the rubbish. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's amazing how we as mothers, we will, you know, I was making sure that Willow got absolutely everything that she needed. Um, interestingly, from a breastfeeding um, breast, uh, breast point of view, um, our bodies are brilliantly designed to prioritize the quality and the nutritional content of our breast milk. So I think that I, I didn't give myself too much of a hard time in those early months when I was breastfeeding and uh, wasn't eating too much because I knew that my breast milk was providing everything that Willow needed, which is great. Um, but I did notice that, you know, my health was declining. I wasn't feeling as, as good as I could. And obviously you're exhausted and there's so much else going on, a lot of anxiety, etc. So I slowly started to think, okay, I've got to change my way of eating. I've got to change my approach because I just didn't have the time, the energy, the inclination. Um, and so I started with toast because toast was what I was eating. So instead of just having toast and Marmite, uh, I thought, how can I make this a complete meal? And so that actually it was was how the new book came about, Simply Good For You. Um, because I just thought, okay, this is for really busy people who don't want to be preached at and really struggle to get uh, healthy, nutritious meals, either for themselves or for their families or, or kids or whoever. Um, and maybe we can really simplify this process and our attitude towards it. Maybe good enough is enough. And so it started with the toast. And there's a whole section in the book called Hero Toppings. I, I which love is it. How you make a complete meal from a piece of toast. <laughs> and actually, one of the things that I've discovered recently is that well, there's a great bakery up the road that does the most delicious, sort of quite heavy, dark loaf that I love. But I just don't eat it quick enough to justify buying the whole loaf. Mm. So I now slice it and then stick it in the freezer. Perfect. And then you just take it out one slice at a time, stick need. it in the toaster and yeah. you've got something that's kind of tastes fresh yes um perfect rather than having the kind of slice that comes with with the supermarket delivery oh yeah not, not <laughs> as nutritious or, or tasty i don't think you, it appears that you've got a really healthy relationship with food um it's something i've always admired about you your sort of pragmatism and this idea that we don't need to feel guilty did you always have such a good relationship with food I think I've been quite lucky and, and that I don't remember in my teenage years or childhood. Uh, I think, you know, I was raised in sort of quite a balanced way with food. Um, I wasn't given food as rewards for emotional health. So I think I've been quite lucky um, in, in that way. And then obviously studying nutrition um, was such a fascinating four years for me. And and, and I've gone on to, to, to study it. So I think I've been quite lucky. I mean, of course, when you're studying it, I think probably I was really irritating in the first two years of studying and sort of lecturing everyone, especially my family. I think that they hated me um, <laughs> about, you know, all of these things that I was learning. But once once I started working with clients, that's when the real learning begins. And you very quickly, you know, your clients teach you so much and, and very quickly it's reflected back the, the sort of stress, the anxiety, the agony, the shame the difficult complications that so many of us have with food and that quickly became my focus because I never wanted this really positive thing this this positive information that I'd learned to become a, a negative experience for anyone um so so yeah I, I I've been pretty lucky I mean I think there's been times when I've maybe been a bit too healthy maybe when I was first studying I was probably quite uh, you know um worked quite hard at getting it all just right and then you know real life happens and and you have to learn to be, to be kind and sensible and balanced with it hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You've obviously now got a two-year-old daughter, Willow, um... And I do think children are learning the whole time. And I see I see really frequently how obsessions and an unhealthy relationship with food is often passed mm. down, mm. you know, by, by parents. I see it with my mother and her mother, you know, that was, that was a very complicated relationship. And um, what can we do as parents to ensure that 
your relationship with food is simple and straightforward and not negative in any way because it is so emotive isn't it, it I mean it really is it really is and I, I and and already you know I'm constantly questioning myself and thinking am I getting it right with Willow am I putting too much you know she's sensing that I want her to eat all of the different colored vegetables on her plate uh, and I you've think got to give them a bit you, of of you know sherbet dip dabs or whatever you absolutely. can't totally deny it can no you? absolutely so um what I've been doing and, and again it's still early days but um I don't I don't use any foods uh, I don't make any food be superior to another food so uh, I and obviously can't change other people's reaction but I'll never say to Willow oh you're going to have some ice cream as opposed to you're going to have some carrots yeah I try and make carrots and ice cream or chocolate or whatever be on a on a on on the same level so that she's not learning that some foods are more special than others and I think that that's something we do we've done so unconsciously sort of made food be a treat and a reward so I try or naughty, exactly. So I try and not do do that. Um, I give Willow a lot of um, choice around her food. So at every mealtime, she's allowed to choose one thing to go on her, to her plate. That could be chocolate. That could be a rice cake. That could be, uh, I don't know, she's obsessed with those baby bell cheeses. Um, so I think by including her in the choices and letting her feel that she's got some input on it, as opposed to just being put the food have the food put in front of her and told this is what you're eating um and I also give a lot of different variety on her food so that she can pick and choose I never say that she has to finish her meals um it's always her choice when she's ready to finish her meal once she's asked to get down that's it there's no snacks or other things and and I do give snacks but they're definitely time controlled snacks so she knows that she can't just graze aimlessly all day long which I've certainly noticed if she grazes, if she if we ever have done that, she doesn't eat a proper meal. So she has three sensible big meals, and she really she's really hungry for them. She looks forward to them. Um, I know that kids obviously have such different energy needs, so of course I'm not going to make her starve. If she if she's really showing that she's hungry, I'll give her a healthy snack. But I just I'm I'm very cautious to not let her graze throughout the day. Um, so that's where I'm at. Mm. I know that it's early days and she's definitely in that sort of middle of the twos stages now where she's starting to become more tricky and learning that she can get more attention or be a bit more controlling with food. But I think, you know, my idea is to is to never deny her things, um, but also to teach her about, you know, the enjoyment of food. And I think that goes back to our initial point of, of you know, sitting down together as much as possible. Of course, I don't do it all the time. But not, not, not eating alone and seeing it as yeah. a sort of miserable experience. And do you do pudding with her? I don't. I not don't. even fruit or anything like well, that. Well, so sometimes she we give her a choice, but I don't use the word pudding because again, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want that it to be this sort of reward at the end of the meal or to train her to always require something sweet at the end of the meal. So she's always allowed to choose a fruit with her meal, and if she wants to have the fruit first, she can. Um, and sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. So I try and include it as part of the meal rather than a sort of reward for finishing the plate and getting to to the end of the meal. Um, So sometimes, you know, she'll have her yogurt and fruit first, but I don't call it pudding. Yeah. And what do you do on, like, Halloween when there's just so many sweets or Christmas when people give her lots of sweets I mean you might not have sort of entered that phase I think yet. I'm I think I'm, I'm a bit ahead of that phase because yeah. Halloween just she didn't know anything about yeah. it actually that's not true she went to a party and she was given a goodie bag and it was interesting actually because I don't think she'd had chocolate yet because my belief so far was I'm not going to introduce I'm not going to be the person to introduce these things to her I'm going to wait until it's part of her life and then and then we you know go from there so I don't think she'd had chocolate but there was some chocolate in the bag and she knew that it was special she knew already and she was like mommy look so I said oh gosh what's that and you know we we had a chat about it and so of course I let her open it and eat it and we talked about you know how she enjoyed it but but so far I, I haven't um, had too much of a challenge but I think next year will will be you know uh, when you the first, start the, the first the time birthday party yeah I, th- I don't think denial or you know or depriving them is is the way to go um I think having sensible discussions and letting them you know include part of it with their meal maybe will be the what I'll try it is interesting though because I see you know I know a lot of children who are sort of you know between five and ten let's say and there are some children that just aren't that bothered about mm. sweets I've got to say my children I've got a cupboard full of Halloween sweets from years and years ago and I just mm. regularly just chuck it all out mm. I feel mm. guilty about that but they're not that bothered about sweets but then my nephew for example 
is obsessed and mm. he asks and asks and asks and asks and eventually his mother says you know what? i'll just let him eat all the sweets on halloween yes. and then at least they're out they're of the done. house yes. because i don't get any peace he doesn't focus on anything else because he's gosh, so obsessed about the, the yeah. sweets yeah. and you know they're not they're, they're a healthy family mm, they mm. but he just has this intrinsic i love them. And it was the same with my sister who just i mean she's got <laughs> you know she had a few, a few t- root canals done and I'm sure that's because when, you, when she went to boarding school and she got given sort of a bit more of a, a free reign she yes. just spent all her money on sweets yes yes well I think then we have to go back to this wonderful uh, understanding and acceptance that we're all unique individuals and I, I think that some children are just born with um, different taste buds and we were talking earlier you know I, I know a lot of mothers beat themselves up if they've got tr- fussy eaters and um, from my research anyway I think that some children are just born with uh, you know a, a tendency to be more fussy or maybe not, not have the same taste buds or enjoyment of food that others have and so I think again mums need to give themselves a break we can it's our role to provide a a wide um, diverse range of foods and textures and flavors and and try and get our kids exposed to them but we can't force them to eat Um, and and the choices that they're going to you know lean towards whether it's sweets or ice cream or whatever um, is I think pretty much out of our control unless we're consciously using food as 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 a source of reward for you know um, emotionally telling them that if they've been good here you are you can have this Mm. Mm. And I think that point of yours that ultimately it's our job to make them happy and feel loved and secure. And ultimately, if this sort of endless quest for getting them to eat healthily and diverse food is making everyone, making all mealtime stressful and mm. turning, you know, the mother into an old witch that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. You just got to think, well, where are the, you know, the benefit of that probably isn't so great. Maybe it'd be easier just to tone it back a bit. Fine, we, you know, we'll have pasta and something that's not terrible, but actually it, it makes for a happy meal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important that you raise that because stress is, is not beneficial for our health. So if we're trying to have a healthy diet, whether it be ourselves or for our children, but it's a stressful experience, that's negating pretty much, you know, the, the nutritional benefits and, and the effort. So I think, and, and, and I don't consider pasta not a healthy meal. I think somewhere along along the line, the message has really mm. become con- confusing. You know, you, you can, you can still get, um, you can still make pasta a, a, a balanced and complete meal and you know my daughter has all of those things she's well as you've seen in the book yeah uh, willow's actually eaten every single thing in the book with 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 sensible substitutions obviously not i don't add salt or too much chili um for her although she's got quite a palate for for spicy foods because i've, I've been consciously trying to introduce her to to the different flavors um so she has eaten all of the recipes in the book the thing is that i find that when i cook i make a lot of effort and i cook something delicious and i'm excited about my children eating it and they sit there like nah i don't like it that infuriates me oh, and then course. i turn into this bullshit mother <laughs> and i kind of guilt them i'm like do you know how much time i spent you know doing all these things that i know i shouldn't be oh, doing but so it's hard. almost easier just to do the same old poached chicken that i yeah. know they're going to eat the same omelet rather of than course. sort of push the boat out and they're like and they, they're their thing of, of going you know i said do you like it and they go it's not my favorite thing and because of course I told them it's really rude to say you don't like it but then they're they're kind of it's not my favorite thing annoys me so much they might as well say it's revolting mummy yes oh it's devastating I I mean again I'm I'm, I'm sort of in in the early stages where Willow is starting to reject food and be challenging and and yes I really relate I feel furious and and hurt and stressed and anxious and of course we, we don't want to waste food and throw food away and we want to make sure that our kids have have eaten a proper meal so I think, um, you know, we, we've just we, we've got to find a nice, sensible balance, uh, something that's going to make it doable and practical for us mums. Um, but maybe trying one new food a week, maybe saying, well, there's one meal a week that is going to have a new item that I just want you to try. You don't have to love it. I'm not going to force you to eat it, but I'd just like you to try it. And um, from my third book, The Positive Nutrition, um, uh, Nourishing Glow, The 10-Day Plan, it's got the positive nutrition pyramid. Um, lots of my friends who've got kids who, who are older and sort of able to engage in food, they quite enjoy ticking off the positive nutrition pyramid each day and, and sort of helps them to connect and think more about food rather than just seeing food as this chore that they've got to get through so that they can then go and play or 
do other things, which I think happens with a lot of kids. So, I, I mean, I'll come back when Willow's a couple of years older and let you know how I'm getting on. <laughs> but I'm sure you're doing a great job. And I think the message, as always, to mums is we're, we're doing the best that we can. And that's always going to be enough. And the guilt isn't necessarily helping us. I mean, I was Not talking to my children all. the other day and they were like, why does KFC even exist? It's just so bad for you. And I was like, well, you know, I, when I was little, my mother used to take us to McDonald's like once a week. That was accepted. And now, like, my children think McDonald's is like the worst place. I mean, not that they've ever been, but they've just, yeah. <laughs> I feel a bit guilty, actually. But I do think we've made such a step forward in a generation in terms of understanding complete nutrition about this positive messages mm. and the importance of not passing your sort of insecurities down Mm, mm. that that is already a huge achievement rather than thinking well they're not eating kale and I feel like I failed as a mother as a result (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think gosh um yeah you're right you're right we we have we have taken great leaps and bounds and I think it's we've we've got to apply some some sensible moderation to it I mean I don't know any child that eats kale. Actually, that's not true. I do have a friend who likes the kale no, chips. Do you know, my, my daughter loves crispy kale. And that's we just great. get fresh kale, stick it in the oven, and Roast I put it, olive yeah. oil, Lovely. lemon juice, and a little bit of salt on. And she absolutely loves it. Willow and we does. sprinkle it on top I did of... give it to Willow, and then she started choking. So yeah. actually, <laughs> I've stopped that. But I must go back to it now that she's matured a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's just about getting them to, to, yeah, to embrace something new. I think it's exactly that. It's just, it's just making them feel that they can try mm. and that it's a good opportunity it's it's good to always be open-minded maybe maybe they can choose I don't know I'm just thinking off the top of my head but maybe when you do your weekly shop they each get to choose a new vegetable or a new food that they haven't eaten before or tried before maybe mm. maybe involving them I think um when they're older is a, is a way to get them to and also getting them more. involved in the cooking process I find that makes a huge yes. difference if they feel pride in the same way that I do yes. over what I've cooked yes then they're much more likely to to you know embrace it positively than yeah. if, I mean I did sushi with my daughter the other day and it was so funny because she was having one of these kind of eight-year-old moments and she said to me as, as I, I plaited I made the mistake you know of plaiting her hair before we, she got to school and she turned around to me oh. as she went into school and she went <laughs> mommy all I want is to be happy and with that sort of stormed into school oh and I God. actually I laughed it was terrible but she was so furious with me and then that afternoon I bought like some sushi rice I said let's make some sushi and I turned in half an hour from being the worst mother in the world to the best mother yes. in the world because oh, she just well wanted my done. time of for course, half an hour of course and you know I encouraged her to put some crab in and some salmon and some stuff that she was you know some raw salmon yes that she was a little bit worried about eating and yeah. she loved but it she loved it I, th- I yeah I mean I'm really looking forward to to being able to include Willow in the cooking process. I mean, she does a little bit, but, you know, at the moment it's a bit more of a hazard than a help. But uh, I think, yeah, it's quite stressful. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, yeah, we've, we've long known that including kids in the, in the cooking process is a really important way to, to get them to try more and to get them to feel, to, have, to, to attach, as you say, to that sense of pride of actually creating something and having, just having a bit of involvement in it rather than just being told this is your food, eat it. Um, so I think, yeah, choice choice and, and inclusion is, is the way forward. There is, I mean, obviously there's a lot to be gained by eating healthily. And I know that there are a lot of um, stories from people that, you know, you've advised who've had a quite mm. un- unhealthy website, who, uh, lifestyle, mm. who say their lives have been absolutely revolutionized by just a different attitude to eating. Mm. But obviously being you know eating healthily can't cure everything and you talked about a stage in your life that was very difficult you had repeated miscarriages you were struggling to get pregnant Mm. was there ever you know a situation where you thought I'm doing everything right I'm being healthy and still I'm not getting kind of the thing that I want most in the life was there was there ever a kind of did you ever have the feeling of just thinking oh screw it I'm just gonna eat Mars bars I really did I really did um, because I because I think because I was a slightly older mum I mean when I first um, you know was with Nick and, and we knew that that we were you know uh, committed to one another um, I was 38 years old so I knew that I was a slightly older mum but I still really didn't think that I would have the problems that I would have and I thought well, I'm healthy blah 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 um, and and then what, trans- what transpired was four years of multiple miscarriages and such a such a challenging time and I was so rigid and having the acupuncture and taking the herbs and just trying absolutely everything and looking back now I was so miserable 
I was so unhappy. What I wasn't doing was the emotional work, dealing with the trauma of the all of the miscarriages, dealing with that loss, dealing with the absolute terrifying fear that, that I might not get to become a mother um, and dealing with all of the insecurities that that brought up. And then we finally got to a stage where our doctor did actually say, we, did, we didn't do IVF, um, but we did... Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was the early stage. So we could just look at the quality of, of, of my eggs to find out why I was having all of these miscarriages. And um, we we got, uh, I think, something like 14 embryos. And the doctor said every single one of them is genetically abnormal. He said the likelihood of you ever having a healthy pregnancy naturally with your own eggs is virtually none. And so with that news being told, you're not going to be a mother... I had to walk away and sort of, uh, you know, really start to do some of that work. And I really did have that ethic moment where I thought, God, and I gave up all of the acupuncture and I gave up everything and I got really drunk. And, you know, I just sort of let go of trying so hard. And five months later, I fell pregnant naturally. And, um, you know, Willow is so far completely healthy and perfect. So I think that that health there's so much more to health than just what we eat and certainly as a nutritionist of course that's what I've focused on but I really want every other mum everyone listening to this to remember that it's only a small part and if we're not having great relationships or great communications with those that we love if we're living around tension or you know frustrations bottling up hurt bottling up fears if we're not seeing our friends and having a good old belly aching laugh um, eating kale every day or you know having a miserable green juice on a cold January day isn't part of healthcare. Um, and we've got to find a balance with looking at all of the other aspects of, of health and you know since becoming a mum for me the biggest challenge has been sleep and the impact that that's had on my health. I mean, I've I've struggled with my health quite badly since becoming a mum. And I think it's, you know, it's a, a lot of the stuff that I shared earlier, you know, my nutrition and healthy habits fell out of the way. Um, I've really struggled to lose weight. I've gone into perimenopause. Um, I've had skin issues. Uh, I think a lot of the sleep, the lack of sleep and the anxiety that comes with it have all impacted my health. And even though I still, of course, I eat really well, that's that's easy for me. That's almost automatic for me but a lot of the other areas aren't maybe in balance and that has a huge impact on on how I'm feeling I mean there's this idea of postnatal depletion that none of us acknowledge that producing a whole new human being takes such a strain on our body and Mm. we think oh just pop them out it's just it's just like a period that went slightly differently it's not it bleeds you dry and it was interesting what you were saying you know our bodies have an amazing way even if we're not eating very well they will divert all the energy and all the nutrients into our breast milk it's the same when Mm. our babies are inside us Mm -hmm. you have a starving woman and she will feel dreadful her baby will probably be absolutely fine because they're like a parasite they bleed us dry and I think that there is so much expectation nowadays you have a baby and you bounce back and you're in your your skinny jeans and you're up and you're bright and you're instagramming and you're back to work and yes and that doesn't help anyone it really it it, it, I'm so shocked that it still happens I mean there are some women that you know and I've got friends who did really naturally just bounce back and they didn't really suffer or struggle in the same way that I have but I know that the way that I felt and I'm still struggling two years on uh, I know I'm not alone in it and I feel so um, passionate about sharing it because especially in my position because I think that there's often people look through a lens of you're perfect you've got it all figured out uh, everything's easy for you and uh, and it's so important to say no 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 I, I found this really hard maybe it's because I'm an older mother I don't think so I think it's exactly as you say there is postnatal depletion and uh, even even as a really healthy individual uh, my body has been depleted and it's taken a lot for me to recover and get back on track and it's a working progress and I just I feel so frustrated that that there is still this this um, misguided belief that you can just pop a baby out and be back to normal and I, I really even though I've worked with hundreds of clients and mothers over my time I really thought that I'd be back at work three months later and absolutely thriving and I was so shocked that I wasn't I was so shocked that it's you know, it, took, it was a year before I could really engage with work in any meaningful way. And I was lucky that I got to do my book 
quietly and slowly and steadily um, without too much pressure. And my publishers were very patient. But uh, I, I really did think that I would bounce back within three months and, and didn't worry about weight, didn't worry about energy, just thought, oh, I'm so lucky I work for myself. It'll all be easy. And it really, uh, it's like learning a completely new new existence, new way of life. I think the sleep, though, you're right, it plays a huge part because it's not like you, you produce this baby and then you sort of can focus on your recovery. If anything, it kind of tests mm. you more to the limit looking after mm. a small baby. Not only if you're breastfeeding, are you giving them pretty mm-hmm. much all the good nutrients. Mm-hmm. But I think also there's you know, there's that that physical fatigue of 12 hours a day, you're looking after them and probably during the night too. And then they need hugs and cuddles and emotional support. And then you also constantly worrying, am I doing, am I being good enough? Do they love me enough? (laughs) I I was slightly snappy with them today. Oh God, I feel awful. Have I ruined them? Have I, have I damaged their entire emotional development? And that just from an emotional point of view, even if say you've got tons of help, you're still emotionally connected. And that's probably the most tiring and exhausting thing that you can you can deal with and I think that's that's something that people aren't prepared for not prepared at all and I don't really know the solution other than going into it absolutely understanding and giving ourselves permission to really take it more slowly and not feel like we have to bounce back or or even be the same person because I don't think we we really are I remember you telling me before I gave birth um, delegate as much as you possibly can find you know get get help wherever you can in your life and I remember sort of hearing it and thinking oh yes that makes sense and then about five months in going okay I really need to delegate this because I was still trying to do it all um, so yeah yeah <laughs> and I think it's such an important conversation and I think you know you talking about your miscarriages is, is really important too did mm. you talk about them at the time did your friends know what you were going through um, I didn't at the time uh, did I? I can't really remember now. I don't think I did publicly um, until I was sort of at the other side because I did still feel too vulnerable. But I remember telling, um, I sometimes would tell clients, which maybe is inappropriate, but um, I, I, I'm sort of, I think it's important that we just keep having this conversation because I'm, I remember how uncomfortable people were when I said, look, I've just had a miscarriage. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cancel or reschedule or look, I've just had a miscarriage, I'm going through a bit of a tricky time. People are really, really uncomfortable with hearing it. Um, and so I remember there, there was an element of shame. I even remember one person saying, gosh, you're so healthy. What have you done wrong? Suggesting, I mean, I'm not sure that they were aware of it, but there was a suggestion, there was a tone that it was my fault. And um, that's why I think it's so important that people like me who are perceived as healthy um, share that, that it can happen to us. Maybe it's an age thing, who knows? Um, I think it starts with education. You know, I was, I was, I've written something, I think, in The Telegraph a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking about it after this, you know, this this big study came out saying that there's a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder mm. associated with miscarriages. They think sort of one in five women ex- experiences mm. acute um, stress and, mm. and post-traumatic stress. Um, and I was thinking, you know, we have sex education that is mandatory in school, and we talk to children not necessarily in a great way, but at least it's acknowledged that it is really important about reproduction. And we talk about... You but we don't talk about miscarriage. We don't realise yeah, yeah. that it's so normal. It's so normal and just so common. And uh, and and I myself, as a thirty-eight-year-old woman, was completely shocked and floored when I miscarried for the first time. I, I just wasn't expecting it, and there was really so little support. My doctor was sort of just so blasé about it. And mm-hmm. I remember sort of having to ask, "Well, what do I do now? We'll just wait. It'll all come out, you know, when it's ready." Mm-hmm. And sort of. Okay, well, I have I have work. I can't really live mm. like that. I, I just it was very very traumatic, and it happened to me time and time again. And of course, I just sort of built up this resilience, but didn't ever really deal with the trauma and 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 the the pain. It was it, it's 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 so awful, but it does happen so often. So I yeah, I think we've got to keep talking about it. I think the message is that it happens and that it can be really traumatic. Because mm. again, you know, if you have a doctor who goes. Or just wait and let it happen in a sort of matter of fact way. They're almost saying you can't grieve. It's not acceptable to grieve. And actually, I think people react to it in different ways. Mm. I really do. You Mm. know, age 38, when you're having your sixth miscarriage, Mm. you know what? Things look pretty 
darn bleak mm. than if you've already got three kids, you got pregnant by mistake, and you've had a miscarriage. You know, there are two very different scenarios. Quite and agree, also you yeah. add into that that mix the fact that everyone responds to things slightly differently. Yes. People, Some people are more resilient, other people are less resilient. Sometimes it's other experiences coming out yes. of the mix. And I just don't think we should ever be told that it's not okay to be emotional, yes. to grieve or yes. to acknowledge our feelings. Quite agree, yeah. So you also talked obviously about kind of, you know, you've struggled to lose the weight and this mm. acknowledge this expectation that mm. we should lose weight and look brilliant and look fab. Mm. And there are some great, you know, well, there are some role models of people that just look amazingly effortlessly mm. beautiful after they've given birth to five children. <laughs> um I, I just, I, I, it is really, really difficult. Um, how do you think is is best to do that? I mean, people talk a lot about fasting. I've noticed that in the new year, there's this yeah. whole idea of I fast once a week and Gwyneth Paltrow seems to be constantly fasting. Whenever she sort of talks about her memoirs, she's like, well, I was fasting that week and that month I was fasting. I'm like, are you ever not fasting? <laughs> but maybe that's why she does look so glowy. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I sort of, I didn't put any pressure on myself to lose weight within the first year. And I always say to, to mums, you certainly shouldn't be aiming um, or, or beating yourself up about losing weight um, when you're breastfeeding or go on any kind of diet um, or really within the first year. And my weight did start to naturally come off. And I thought, yeah, great. Phew, I'm glad I didn't put any pressure on myself. Um, and, and as I started to get more energy, um, you know, it did start to drop. But then I had, um, I shared with you earlier, I had a very traumatic experience last year um, with my daughter who um, was in a, a very nasty accident and had to go into hospital. And that um, set, set me back a, a long way. And again, that's that's where it sort of, it, you, we have to understand the sort of lack of sleep, the anxiety, the emotional stuff that, that can really hold us back from losing weight. I think lots of people approach weight loss as, I just need to restrict what I'm eating and it will come off. Mm. Well, I can say that's not always the case because that's not the case with me. Um, Obviously, I've got a lot of knowledge about nutrition and I know how to apply the principles, but I'm also not someone that can add on an extra stress. I'm not someone that can do a week-long fast. Um, I think, as you know, my approach is always incredibly moderate and sensible and gentle and kind. And I think that, you know, I'm confident that my body will adapt and adjust when the time is right. You know, I'm finally starting to get sleep. I'm finally starting to exercise uh, again regularly and enjoy it. And so I just think we, we've got to be kind to ourselves and understand that it can take it can take time. I'm only two years in. <laughs> it's been a major, major um, two years of, of, of and, and really life changing. So uh, I don't think we need to be hard to on, uh, hard on ourselves. Um, going back to your question about fasting, I think that there's a lot of great science around um, not eating all of the time. I see clients that. Uh, unconsciously graze throughout the day and are maybe eating for sort of 11 hours of the day. Um, We know that eating is an inflammatory process, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't eat. Our bodies are really well designed to support a a natural healing process. But if you're eating all the time on a regular basis, maybe our bodies can't keep up. So I think that there's a lot of sense to being more mindful about not eating too often and too regularly. Um, I think that intermittent fasting or some of the more extreme versions of intermittent fasting where you're only eating for an eight hour window of the day, um, most people that I've worked with um, just aren't able to do that. It's it's very, very stressful to the body. I think for a really healthy, thriving individual, they might be able to go into that. So someone without any symptoms, who's exercising frequently, who gets perfect sleep, who doesn't have health issues, then they might thrive restricting themselves in that way. But the average person is going to struggle. So again, I'm always, let's be kinder. Um, I would encourage people to fast for 12 hours overnight, which is pretty easy to do so just make sure that you've finished your evening meal by 8 p.m and don't eat have with breakfast your kids. eat with your kids which is what I do um and then don't snack in the day I'm really I really don't think that we need to snack children obviously that's different they've got different energy requirements but um I don't think okay some people who are really active maybe type 2 diabetics or or, or um, type 1 diabetics even might need to eat more consistently but for the average person I think we just unconsciously graze and I don't think it's necessary so three meals a day fast for five hours in between each meal and fast for 12 hours overnight that would be my advice for for most people to to start but never never think that weight loss is just solely about the food we've got to look at all of the other areas too 
Yeah, I think the sleep is so important. And, and actually, if you I, don't sleep, you, yeah. it, it completely controls or dominates your appetite. Uh, and for me, certainly not sleeping made me just ravenous mm. and craving sugar um, in a way that I just, you know, haven't haven't done before. I mean, I found that a real difference in terms of my life is getting to bed at a really good time. Mm-hmm. And I do that, I'd say, five nights a week. Mm-hmm. I'm probably in my bed at 9, 9.30, mm-hmm. lights out by 10. Mm-hmm. And it just makes such a difference. And I see so many of my friends who, they're catastrophically tired, mm-hmm. but they're mooching around and they're on Instagram, they're watching Netflix and they never get to bed till midnight. Mm-hmm. Not because they've got specific things they need to do. It's just that that's not what their habit is. Mm-hmm. And I've, well, I've started on the nights that I'm not doing anything. I eat with the kids at six. Mm-hmm. And then as they're brushing their teeth and getting into their pajamas, I'm doing the same and then you're in that sort of zone and I turn down all the lights in the house too Mm -hmm. because again isn't there some evidence that if if it's dark your body naturally produces a bit more melatonin and starts to unwind yeah Yeah. and I think it's really lovely habit to get into and I'm doing exactly the same it goes back to your comment about being depleted and I think um, some of the best advice I was given in the early days was you know, stop trying to, when when Willow was asleep, I would sort of think, this is my time. Yay, I'm free. I can do this, this and this and this. And actually realizing that I couldn't and I, and I wasn't coping and I was struggling. And actually what I needed to do was go to bed and get the early nights. And um, I, I've made that a consistent habit. I'd say, yeah, four or five nights a week. But there are times, and I'm sure you have those too, where you just want that free time to just be child free and not asleep in bed and just pottering or mooching around and, and doing those things and, and and I have been having a few of those recently uh, and 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 then not going to bed until midnight and then really feeling it the next day so and it's important yeah. to have fun still you know you still exactly. want to feel like a, an individual not yeah. sort of a mother and there are times when you want to just get a bit drunk and <laughs> go out and dance until three yes. o'clock in the morning I mean yeah. I, I hold my hands up that doesn't happen very Not often <laughs> but I, I did like it for my friend's wedding and it was so <laughs> much fun and so good so yeah I think I've, I feel like I'm starting to come out of you know two years of, of, of quite a challenging two years I mean very very positive of course as well because Willow's absolutely wonderful and there's not a single part of me that's not grateful every single day for um, her being here but um, it's very exciting as I was saying to you earlier just I'm sort of feel a bit more adventurous now and ready to start living again and not not worry too much about you know my sleep and my mental health and, and things it's nice and what about alcohol I mean I think for a lot of mothers you get to the end of the day and they just need something mummy juice exactly yeah (laughs) I mean I'm definitely finding increasingly I I I, if I drink wine which I love Mm. I will wake up Mm. at three o'clock in the morning Mm. for two hours Mm -hmm. and then fall into a deep sleep just as Mm. I need to get up Mm. and I feel pretty catastrophic on two glasses of wine Mm. what is is alcohol really that bad for you? And if you do want to drink alcohol, mm. what should you be drinking? What's the kindest on your body? What's the gosh? I think I mean, I, mean, I think questions. it's. Sorry, I think, Lydia. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know we, we we definitely know that alcohol isn't um, isn't really beneficial for our health, and I think the NHS suggests that that. Um, that all adults drink no more than is it 12 units or has it gone down to nine I know it's changed recently so obviously we've all got to apply yeah, but um, the NHS aren't like wrangling with our children about whether or not they can <laughs> have their socks on I mean just sometimes there's like in principle you don't drink but you're like but in practice of course so to answer your question is it good for us or, or you know is it yeah. really that bad for us I mean I think again it has to be personalized case by case basis I'm like you uh, if I drink too much it, which can be two glasses of wine I really feel it but I love wine and it's definitely and I, in a way that I wouldn't drink a cocktail or a spirit but I love wine um so for me it's just it's just trying to find that balance and and what I aim for is to have sort of three nights off in the week or one night on one night off or maybe just drink over the weekends with friends I was chatting with another friend of mine who's a mother and she said I just realized that I am less stressed when I have a glass of wine at lunchtime <laughs> And she said, so I've decided being a less stressed mum is better for me than, you know, worrying about is it bad to drink at lunchtime. So I think, um, I don't know, each to their own. And we've got to, we've, we've, you know, as long as we're being sensible. And is there any type of alcohol that might be less... I don't know that people talk about there being lots of toxins and chemicals in. Yeah, I think I think tequila is the purest. 
Um, so I know a lot of people who are very concerned about calorie control will tend to just drink a shot or two of tequila so that they get that nice buzz, um, but they're not having all of the extra sugars that you get with wine. Um, but obviously, of course, that's still, it just depends what your goal is, because that's still going to be um, harsh for the liver to detoxify. Um, but I think that tequila is, is, is the purest one, and then maybe vodka. And I suppose there's an element of listening to your body. And if I mean, I'd rather I can not always... drink than drink tequila and vodka. It just wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be pleasurable to me in the way yeah. that I really enjoy a good glass of red wine. Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't agree with me. And, you know, I have to I have to sort of be sensible and work out what the priority is. Sometimes it's just relaxing. Sometimes it's no, I, I want to lose weight and my skin. And so we have to have that dialogue with ourselves. And very often the hangover is worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is more, more so, you know, if you've had a, if you've had great night with friends and to me having friends around the table and having a lovely meal and just having laughter and chat uh, you know catching up and great chats then yeah to me the 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 hangover would be worth it Oh, well, Amelia, it's been so lovely chatting to you. <laughs> I feel really um, excited. Uh, yeah, having looked through your cookbook, actually, um, I feel really excited about kind of cooking again. And oh, what good. I love about it is that it's it's so achievable. I mean, it's called simple, but it really is. I love your idea of toast and <laughs> making these hero toasts, but also you've got a whole section on soups, which again, you know, people think of soup as just the liquid, but actually you can top them, you can fill them with things that sort of turn them into a bit more of a, of Absolutely. a meal. Absolutely. Well, the, the point of the book is it, it's everything that I've eaten over the last two years. Um, so, you know, hands up someone who's who's struggled with time. But obviously, I approach every recipe with nourishment at, at, at its heart. I want to make sure that I'm giving myself or whoever I'm cooking for the, you know, the widest range of nutrients possible. And I think that that's where a lot of people, you know, maybe don't have that knowledge or don't have that confidence. So it's really written for, for the busy person, um, at, you know, who, who just doesn't have the time or the confidence, but to make sure that they're nourishing themselves whenever whenever they get the chance. But there's lots of, I suppose, cheats in there and there's instant meals for those times when you just can't face chopping an onion or um Well, you I know, love your hack vegetables. of frozen onions. Yes. Brilliant idea. So there's lots of hacks in there because uh, I don't think, again, you know, I said good enough, good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect to be powerful. Um, I think we've maybe been led down the, the, the sort of wrong pathway that healthy eating has to be absolutely perfect. Everything has to be organic and fresh from scratch. And of course, that's, that's great if you've got the time and the ability to do that. But um, if you don't have those funds all the time or, you know, the, the, the ability, then um, it, it, we shouldn't be afraid of a few cheats here and there. And so that's what this book is. It's, it's, it's food for loved ones. It's food for kids. It's food for us. It's food for families, um, but all with nourishment at their heart. And they really they really are simple. Mm, perfect well uh, putting you on the spot a little bit Ben's coming home tonight he's been away for four days we're going to all have dinner together as a family what shall I cook oh god um, <laughs> um okay well maybe the roasted winter salad that seems to be a real favorite okay. um and it, what's interesting about that is you put the dressing on first and then cook it so it's really easy everything done in one tray um or um there's a couple of risottos I think because it's cold and we're still in winter you know some of the um, hearty slow cooked stews the the pulled the pulled pork or the beef brisket um, have gone down very well well but there's also the soup for your... the soul which is a lovely and so easy yeah I mean I, I really do eat from this book and my goal is that um, you know it just becomes a really battered and splattered and well used and loved part of people's kitchens I do also one little tip that uh, your listeners might like um I do say in order to make healthy eating and healthy cooking a way of life, it's so vital to learn five or six recipes off by heart so that you're not a slave to following the recipes. And that's my hope is that people make some of these recipes their own and they know instantly what ingredients they need to have in the cupboard so that it's not an effort and it's not like, oh God, look at that long list of ingredients. I don't have any of that. I can't make it. So making them your own and feeling confident to switch ingredients around according to your preferences or needs or tastes or what you have available um, is, is so important to sort of own it and make it part of your weekly weekly repertoire. Well, I always find the first time you make a new recipe, it takes twice as long. Exactly. And then as soon as you've done it before, you sort of have that muscle memory and it's yeah. just much easier. And then it's just easy. You can rustle it up in 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, thank Amelia. Thank you. Um, you can look at, uh, uh, you can find uh, Amelia's book, which is called Simply Good For You. Uh, it's on Amazon, presumably, and it's every other. Yes, yeah, and all of the normal places. It's a great present. Actually, I think cookbooks are one of the, my favourite things to give as presents. Yes. If, I, if yes. I go to dinner with someone, to bring them a cookbook oh, is so much lovely. nicer than a, a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Amelia. Thank you. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review us. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Amelia and me, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.